Unbound. Unbound. This is Unbound, the podcast that tries to nudge the boundaries of philosophy. And this is Kay. And Giuseppe. And with you and a bunch of other friends at the new school, we are going to push the boundaries of philosophy. Are you ready? Let's begin our journey to become Unbound. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unbound. My name is Miranda Young. I am a PhD student in philosophy. Um, and I would like to also introduce my co-host, Zach. Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Zach. I'm an MA student in philosophy. Today, we will be interviewing and speaking with our friend and colleague, Kelly Gawa. She is a PhD student also at the New School, and she works on care and social reproduction. Uh, welcome, Kelly. Hi, um, thanks so much for having me. I'm really, uh, it's really a joy uh, and an honor to be talking to you two today. So I'm going to start out by just asking a kind of general background question. Um, you know, I think given your work and how interesting and exciting it is, it would be so great to hear a little bit about you and your story. So I guess I'm curious uh, on what drew you to philosophy. Maybe you could tell us a little bit of the story behind you entering into academia. Thank you so much, Miranda, for that question. Um, yeah, and I want to kind of frame it by acknowledging your like the amazing work that you do that that um, around narrative and like reclaiming narrative agency um, and sort of just thinking about uh, reclaiming my own narrative or, or constructing reclaiming my own kind of like autobiography around like how and why I sort of chose this. A strange path and yeah it was it was a long and winding road um, I forged it by kind of like walking it like I think there was a lot of chance and a lot of luck and a lot of chaos um, and and uh, and some like just like kind of moving towards a desire that was inchoate um, in a lot of ways uh, but yeah, I guess I'll start by saying it was like, I am a very non, or I have a very kind of like non-traditional entry into uh, into this strange world of academia. Um, in terms of that, um, and sort of inspired by you, Miranda, and your work, like in terms of that kind of like narrative agency, I have this, this, this story that I kind of tell myself, which maybe I didn't have at the time, but around like, I, I, I dropped out of high school, I left, um, I was a sort of, um, I was socially stigmatized as, a, as a, a slut in the words of the kind of, you know, whatever rape culture that I grew up in, um, and, and like, this kind of militant act of like refusal really in a way, like again, in my sort of narrative reconstruction of myself, like kind of, um, uh, launched me onto this 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 path um, so yeah I mean I'm kind of proud of that so what I did is that I left this you know I was this high school dropout in crisis like I took my GED and I started going to community college um, which was a really transformative experience for me like to find excitement and desire and learning um, and yeah, during those years, I also, um, I mean, a big part of my education, I think, was, like, I was this, like, kind of this traveler kid. Like, I saved up, I would, like, work odd jobs. I mean, not odd jobs. Actually, I worked in childcare for, like, four years. 
and I did a bunch of like not you know just service jobs I guess I started doing service jobs when I was 15 um and they would save up money and periodically go on these big trips and travel and a big one was when I, I saved up ten thousand uh, dollars working a few jobs and uh went off on my own shaved my head I went off on my own to like Europe for a year um on that 10 grand and it was really I mean it was beautiful and transformative and like just like that kind of um, I was brave in those days, I think, you know, um, and crazy in a good way, I guess. Uh, and I mean, that's not to say that it was like easy either, I guess. Um, it wasn't, but yeah, when I was, when I was traveling, I guess right before I left on that trip, I was 21, I guess. And like, I had been going to community college and I was like, oh shit, like I have really good grades. Maybe I could go to Berkeley. Um, which was like never would have been a possibility for me, right? Um, and I and when I was out, you know, when I was out traveling, I applied to Berkeley and I got in. Um, and so and so then I moved to the Bay. I was in the Bay for a number of years, and I kind of going to Berkeley. Um, I should note that I actually didn't um, study philosophy. Like that wasn't my major. Actually, kind of like the first day, the first class I took at Berkeley, the first day I went into uh John Searle's class <laughs> like I shouldn't probably maybe I shouldn't say this but I went into this class of John Searle it was like at eight o'clock in the morning and had some like amazing title that sounded super exciting about I don't know consciousness or something and like I was just like no this is not for me um and so I ended up doing this interdisciplinary major um I like this kind of young arrogant excitement about um about like critiques of the western individual and that was my sort of guiding light um in those studies and um and yeah i think i really was like politically educated during those years too um i kind of became a part of uh anarchist communities and was part of like the the round of uh, occupation struggles um in california during that time um and so i guess since those years the like the 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 political and the academic work have, have been kind of have been really I've articulated them together. Um, and then after uh, after Berkeley, I went to, I lived in Mexico for a couple years in Mexico City um, and uh, applied to grad school there. And even then I didn't, I applied to the new school, but that was the only philosophy program that I applied to. Um, and why philosophy? Um, you know, I mean, I actually, I mean, to be totally honest, I have some ambivalence both about academia and about um, academic philosophy per se. So I was sitting with this question or sitting, just sitting with it and kind of trying to think about it. And at first I was like, Oh God, why philosophy? Like, did I just kind of like tumble into this, into this, uh, esoteric field? Um, but I, you know, I really do actually think the first thing, which I, which I, which loops back into the, the educational journey is that I had this beautiful transformative teacher. Like when I first started community college, I was, you know, 16, I took this philosophy class or I took multiple classes with Johnny Terry, who is this beautiful queer transformative teacher who was just like this, you know, key inspiration in my life. Um, and that's, I think really in that class, like the, the joy of learning really kind of became a possibility. And so it was kind of this buried, this latent thing for a lot of years um, that 
I ended up looping back around to. And I guess I want to, I guess I could start by saying that I think, I mean, philosophy as an academic discipline is in such deep and intense crisis. And um, without getting too, I don't, I don't, I guess I shouldn't go too much into it, but like, just what do we do with the imbrication of this disciplinary form of knowledge making um, and its institutionalization and the way that it's bound up with uh, with many forms of violence on multiple levels. And I think that that's like, and, and I think we really see that now in the, in the kind of, um, like as a philosophical question, how do we kind of orient ourselves to those histories um, and that present um, in terms of race and gender and class and, and, um, and ability and, and queerness. I mean, in a way, like philosophy wasn't a place for like somebody like me. Um, and I think I really felt that for a long time. Like I wanted to kind of name the alienation. I felt and that it's kind of been a real like process that's like of like around finding voice and belonging um, in this kind of space. And um, and at the same time, I mean, it's something that, that I guess that I was really drawn to and like good at. Um, you know, from from those early years, I kind of had this like theoretical orientation that just like this very sort of abstract way of um, I'm good at abstract thinking, I guess. Um, but I think there's something about the practice of philosophy or the possibility, like the kind of the, the call and possibility of philosophy, like as a, as a kind of way of inhabiting problems, that cliche, this kind of this cliche thing, but like that is that that desire for wisdom can actually be a kind of transformative space, like of being committed to the truth and like, and, and, and dwelling there in that, in that, uh, that process and that struggle that like, that had dough text on like philosophy as a way of life, something like that. And at the same time, I guess like sort of again and again, coming back to this thing that's like, I mean, for me, I guess one of the most important values and commitments from this like live in my work, like to have like a life's work that I like live in. Um, and so in a way, like, it's not a kind of an escalator thing. You have to hold it that way. We all, I guess we all do, like given the, the job market or whatever. Um, but that I desired it like, to be a radical philosopher, like a radical intellectual was something that like was exciting to me and that I, that I kind of, that the methods of philosophy, um, like the methods and ways of inhabiting getting to the root of problems and the heart of problems um and inhabiting spaces of like of, of problems um and for me inhabiting that as like a longing for under something like understanding like but so as to like oriented towards transformation like um and so there's been there is a kind of i try to to to, to take on inhabit that that uh that radical space you know, and I guess the, that kind of like the ontology, epistemology, ethics, like, the, you know, like philosophy's foundational kind of framings are like, kind of, I, I find them to be a really productive space to, um, to think and to be. So like, you know, what are these things? What are their relations? Like, how do we change them? Um, I've really found that to be a kind of useful orientation. So, oh, and then also, I mean, with the kind of wisdom of hindsight, like I do think that, and kind of like looping back to the question of the, the story or the path or the journey or whatever it, is that like, I think that teaching, like the, the kind of like finding a vocation as a teacher and a writer is something that's led me in a sort of nonlinear way uh, to this field. I love to, you know, I love teaching. I love teaching philosophy. Um, so Kelly, along this winding journey, who are some of the figures 
writers, artists, philosophers definitely influenced you? And also, what's the project that you're working on and also living with right now? Thank you, Zach.、Um, I think I really take inspiration from people who have that that kind of guiding aim of like living in the work. And I, so, in a way, I think Bell Hooks has this beautiful way of、um, of talking about writers that she's engaged with, like as teachers.、Um, and so, I think I mean some of the teachers, writers,、um, Audre Lorde and Gloria Anzaldúa.、Um, Walter Benjamin was like really huge for me for a really long time.、Um, And then the teachers, like Johnny Terry, who I mentioned,、um, I had some really key, you know, just really influential teachers and mentors in my undergraduate、um, and、uh, and 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 ongoing, you know, just really、um, having people in my life, both who I'm, you know, just reading and engaging with on that level, but also who I、uh, who I have the beautiful opportunity to kind of to think with、um, and learn from is like.、Uh, Is really important.、Um, my students, you know, like the the desire to kind of to to learn from them、um, is really essential.、Um, that it makes me want to kind of work hard and be in the work in that way.、Um, These just like the honor of of getting to work with people in that way. I also, I mean, it's a little vulnerable, but like thinking about like my teachers and like a in a really deep sense when I was. Like I have to think about like the non-human world too.、Um, I had this growing up. There was this、uh, hill in the back of my house, and I had this oak grove that like I would just go to every day and meditate and think and write. And like those trees were totally like some of my original teachers,、um, like most crucial teachers、um, in terms of influences. I also, you know, thinking about this, I'm like, oh shit. And then also like the canonical white men are definitely influential, like in a way that like I was just thinking like Kant's. Notion of critique, for example, I'm like I fucking excuse me with the language. Like I literally use that. Like I can't escape it. Like or I, mean, I guess like the Foucault,、uh, like the beautiful Foucault formulation of that. Like understanding of critique is a kind of like meditation on limits. Like so as to sort of reveal like a horizon and a possibility. And like yeah. I, so I guess I don't really I don't really know what to do with that. But like I'm definitely like it, like th- those those. Thinkers are really embedded in my orientation、um, as well. Cotton Marx, in particular, probably. That's great. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Kelly. I actually like just small anecdote. I I've been teaching like an ethics class this summer, and I just taught the kids Kant. And as you know, like you and I are definitely, and Zach are the kinds of people who write critiques, or in the space where we're writing critiques of Kant now. But we did like you know categorical imperative and. Sort of your classic stuff, and I just was—I was so moved by autonomy over again. And I write critiques of autonomy, like you know this, like. But for some reason, I just thought I was like, "Oh my god!" Like this is so beautiful, which is like again so embarrassing, like because we all are. But it's but it's great. I mean, it is it is there. It is. It gave us like something to critique. It gave us something to use in our critiques. So that's that's awesome. I just wanted to share that. So my next question, actually, I wanted to ask you. Was that I know predominantly your work is concerned with care, both like materially but also theoretically, and I guess I'd just like to hear a little bit more about what you mean by care.、Um, and in particular, now this is like kind of moving into it, but like how can care be a militant practice?、Um, I know this is like a sort of complicated question with your work, but I'd love to hear yeah more about this. Thank you. I love teaching Kant. <laughs>、um, Yeah, I think I'll begin with the with the militancy question 
because because it sort of exemplifies like a couple like elements of my orientation um both the collective dimension and then also it like being a space of like a problem or a question um and so the story behind that term is that it came out of um a project that me and a group of people did for a couple years it was ongoing um we called it uh, our care cadre and in a way not in a way like i mean very literally i kind of returned to my feminist roots and decided to shift my project what well, i had something i was going to do with marx and kant and critical method but in multibenamine but i ended up shit like through this project ended up shifting to care and my feminist roots but the way that we the, the that that project itself was like essentially we sort of asked this question like what is a militancy of care what is militant care um and that was a sort of guiding thread for our for this beautiful creative process that we kind of like co created um in trying to think about the politics of care and think about the politics of care like this was a most of us like anarchists anarcho feminists like trying to deal with the rape that had happened in our community um yeah so uh, like so so a lot of these ideas both the both the idea of militant care the idea of the contradictions of care came out of that project both the collectivity of it and then also the uh the, like the kind of inhabiting it like as a space of a question i guess um and i think i'll loop back to like what i mean by militant care like after i talk about like some definitions and stuff but um um and i want to say that i guess also like i'm trying to develop these ideas about for example the contradictions of care so thinking about care like as both the foundational essential condition of life making and world making materially and like affectively and socially and at the same time like the fact that under structural conditions um systemic oppression um extraction exploitation care becomes this this site of violence um and that's just really and I'm I'm like deep in this problem like I actually it might be wrong you know like so it is so it's just this kind of like uh like I'm writing my dissertation and 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 losing myself and finding myself like with these questions um that were opened up by that group. I think so then I guess back to the question. I mean I can talk more specifically a bit later about those structural and like the structural and intimate violence like within which care is situated or caring practices in relation are situated. But back to the question of uh of militant care, how can care what was it? Like how can care become a militant practice? I think that's really beautiful actually the way you phrase that because I think that that's something that happens um you know in the process of struggle in the process of like organizing and 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 building transformative uh social relations so um you know in so far as like I think that this the I use this for the social organization of of care which comes from Evelyn Nakano Glenn that the social organization of care as well as this like corresponding like historical formations of affective attunement and empathy and um you know empathic response like that these constitutively re- reproduce violence under the under the conditions that we live in and differentially like i don't this is not a kind of um i think it's really important that like that this isn't a kind of uh encompassing theory it's like it has to really be situated like but as a militant practice or in becoming a militant practice i think care like involves complexity um and struggle uh like you know literally the 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 social reproduction of struggle against you know various and intersecting forms of violence um 
And then, you know, the idea of militant care in that, in that project itself, like, we developed this idea of cutting, you know, like sometimes it's necessary to cut, like that, the kind of, the militancy, it's like care is not just a yes, you know, mm -hmm. I think care is also a no, um, and it's a refusal, um, and it can be, um, and so, you know, refusal or boundary or limits of care, um, I think the, like a militancy of care speaks to that. Um, I guess I'm sort of thinking about like uh, earth protectors or water protectors, like um, the boundary and refusal in, in that in that kind of care. Yeah, that's that's my answer to that question. Uh, Kelly, as you mentioned, your dissertation titled "Contradictions in Care." At the beginning, you mentioned that care is undergoing a crisis under capitalism, and also you mentioned there's violence in care. Could you tell us a little bit of how? Because this is very different from what our usual understanding of care. And could you tell us how care can also produce, reproduce domination and exploitation? Thank you, Zach. I also just realized I didn't answer your question, your, your prior question about my project, but I guess here I'm doing it. So um, I think, um, and this might, I think this is a problem that comes from prior articulations of my work. But I think that when we look at at the, at the social organization of care, at the, at the distributions of care, social distributions of care, who cares, how, why, um, who does that labor of care. Um, when we bring these, the practices and relations of care into view, it's not just, I, I don't think it's just about capitalism, but like the intersections um, of, of multiple forms of, of violence and oppression. I mean, thinking about how the, the how racialized divisions of caring labor, for example, have roots in colonialism and slavery, uh, as well as um, under capitalism. You know, I mean, care socially and materially, which uh, which social reproduction feminism like, allows us to do, um, really brings into view the the intersecting uh, the the intersecting dynamics of violence and oppression and exploitation that happen in care. Um, so I think, I mean, so for example, you know, global care chains and the way that migrant women of color are, again, this is Nakano Glenn's uh, phrase as well, but like forced to care under current conditions, like for, for, for more privileged, you know, largely predominantly white families really kind of illustrate the intersectionality of like extraction and exploitation of involved in, in, in care. Um, and these and and that kind of or this this structural devaluation, invisibilization of care. Have another word in there, invisibilization, devaluation. I'm looking for another one. It'll come up later. But like, of care, like, I mean, care is care is in care is foundational. I guess like is what I want to say. I should have said that first. Like care. We'll talk about care ethics later. I'm sure. But like the under like their understanding care ethics care ethicists understanding of care as like as foundational to, to human life um, is right, I think. Um, and that has been like invisibilized in political understandings um, or understanding of the political, uh, both like militant political practices and also like more kind of uh, understandings of political theory. Like, can't we, like care is foundational. It's a necessary condition of life. Beginning there, you know, beginning there under our conditions, like we see that care is 
a site of, of cleavage and contradiction, I think, um, in the sense that like it's an essential component of social reproduction, like or the you know the the daily intergenerational uh, the material and 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 social relations that, that that reproduce human beings like on a daily basis and intergenerationally um, that these kinds these relations of care both in a material like sense and also in an affective um, and somatic sense like are just, you know, are, are ever more strained and exploited and extracted um, under conditions of, uh, you know, rapid capitalist exploitation, you know, different forms of colonial expansion. And so I think so. So to go back to your to, to the initial question, like thinking about care, um, I like to think about care. I guess I, de I define care in like a broad sense as like a, as the as the social and material and affective um, labor and relations. So I think that the labor and relations part is important um, insofar as it gets to those like practical and agential components, but also the structural social forms and institutions um, that condition care. Thinking about care in a radical sense, I think on the one hand, requires like bringing those forms of violence and contradiction like into view. And I think that those happen on intimate levels as well as structural levels. Um, like the way that, I mean, again, those like the migratory, like just like, you know, the elements of, 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 um, of, of migration and, and care chains and, and capitalism and the colonial dynamics that are at play there and the, and the, and the racialized dynamics and gender like the, you know these kind of structural components, but also like those play out in, in, a, in an intimate sense as well. And we think about like new forms of I don't know. We're thinking about relationships of of, of abuse um, and the the real structural or the real the, the, not just structural but intimate devaluation of, of caring labor. So back to the thing about radical care. Like I think on the one hand it has to hold those it has to hold the radical orientation to care like or multiple or radical orientations to care like require us to bring violence and oppression about the, that are bound up with it. That care is like, that reproduce care, but the care also reproduces. And then at the same time, like radical orientations towards care allow us to see care as this place that's, that has the most, one of the most, I think, um, beautiful, you know, even sacred uh, radical prefigurations of like, of what it is that, uh, that we fight for. And so I think about it as radical in, in both of those senses, I guess. Um, but the original question was about violence, right? So um, you didn't ask about the other stuff. That's okay. Um, so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about the role that this Marxist theory of social reproduction offers to traditional care ethics. You know, I think that we had discussed it a bit, but there's sort of an interesting, like, theoretical combination here that you actually don't see in a lot of works that are in this conversation. So I, I, I'd be interested to hear more about that relationship. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I should I should probably begin by saying that I'm like, a, I'm a bad Marxist, um, <laughs> which I guess maybe is a point of pride. I don't know. Um, but I think that bringing a, a, the social and materialist lens that social reproduction theory theories offer us um, kind of allows uh, allows a, a critical and transformative perspective um, that care ethics a lot of care ethics kind of strives for but it doesn't have you know it doesn't have that deeply ingrained um, materialist sort of 
perspective. Um, and I should note that there's, I mean, there's multiple strains or kind of lineages and traditions in, in social reproduction feminism um, from the kind of more socialist perspectives, or this is how I sort of understand it. And, and I've been engaged in this, in, uh, you know, in this, in this lineage for a while. And so, I mean, there's, you know, there's the more socialist perspectives and the more kind of like autonomous um, perspective, like, you know, the mass feminist struggles coming out of Latin America really, really speak to questions of social reproduction in like, in, in profound and transformative ways, um, as well as, you know, the ways that that those struggles in particular kind of um, are in are, are in relationship to um, uh, in conversation with um, indigenous politics and perspectives, um, you know, and also kind of histories of like of precarious uh, workers. And so, for me, um, in my understanding of social reproduction, um, that the uh, the kind of the political possibilities that that social reproduction frameworks allow us to to articulate is that to, you know so, so to begin with the kind of social reproduction like the lineages that i'm more uh indebted to or kind of draw upon um these these kind of autonomous or even anarchist lineages of it like really centered you know della costa and federici etc like they really centered they, they radicalized the marxist kind of method by 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 centering domestic labor um, as domestic and, and reproductive labor is the essential condition for the exploitation that was happening through the wage relation. And so that really, I think, shows how the how the feminized and racialized and class exploitation um, that occurs in these kind of so-called private sphere is political all the way down. And in, in, in critiquing the form that that domestic labor like paradigmatically takes under capitalism, which I think we should really problematize and, and, and black feminists have problematized um, rightly to kind of to look at it as like this unpaid uh, labor in the home. Um, but 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 regardless of the, the, what's happening in this kind of so-called private sphere of social reproduction um, is this is the condition of of what's more traditionally understood as the kind of wage exploitation in capitalism. And I think this is really important for understanding non wage-based forms of labor that are just, you know, precarious labor under, you know, under our, 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 in our world today. And so, so moving back to, to, to how this framing problematizes care ethics, care ethics really wants us to value care to, and, 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 and the more political versions of care ethics, like uh, Joan Tronto and Virginia Held, who I, who I draw upon most, like, you know, really have this kind of vision of a more caring society, right? And so, and yet, uh, I think that without the the perspective on how and why you know, racial capitalism and heteropatriarchy and all the you know the these structural forms of violence um, have shaped the forms and possibilities of caring doesn't without that perspective we miss the kind of thing about how racialized and feminized people are coerced to care like we miss the piece about how this is actually then like naturalized uh, or legitimated. It, like oftentimes through moralizing lenses and so to kind of you know on, on the one hand i like definitely don't want to like contribute to more devaluation of of of, of mothers and people who do mother work and that kind of work like it's you know, i don't want to devalue that but at the same time like 
thinking about the institution, I mean, just the, you know, the, the traditional or the, you know, Adrian Rich's like famous thing of like, it's an institution, right? Motherhood's an institution. And so how do we get, like, we don't, I don't think we get a full, a full kind of critical perspective or a kind of revolutionary horizon around care, like both it's both the subjugation, exploitation, extraction of care, uh, and, 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 and those who care. And we don't get that kind of, we don't get the real revolutionary possibilities either. Um, and so thinking about, I mean, care ethics has really shifted away from looking at maternal care as the kind of founding or grounding site of caregiving. But, but, we, but, but to just kind of use that as, a, as an example, questioning or, or thinking about maternal caregiving, for example, as like an unquestioned norm um, is something that, that doesn't get at those nuances. Or the way, you know, and something that I'm trying to work on now and figure out is the way that intimacies of, of empathy and caring attention themselves really, you know, there's a self-deception in the ways that those things can, can empathy and, um, you know, and, and caring attention can really reproduce like eating the other. Um, and so I'm kind of really, I'm kind of trying to think through some of those intimate dimensions and how taking care to be to be so Virginia Held's like move is to say like care is the most essential human experience and, and thus the most fundamental value. So she moves from that is to that ought. And like um, I think that first move is right, but that the site, but that we but it's not such a, a simple move to that ought that that runs the risk of even furthering that the kinds of invisibilizations that and, and devaluations that can happen. I just really, really fast want to say that, like, I actually have a, I have a reverse critique of, of social reproduction feminism, feminism as well. And so far as I think that the way that, especially the kind of the Marxist tradition of social reproduction feminism, like centers labor as a category, care is kind of, so in a way like care ethics, like, you know, it, it care, care becomes a value in a sense, it's not problematized, but here it becomes a, like labor in a sense that doesn't get at those, like, that doesn't get at those intimate dimensions of violence also at the intimate dimensions of like affective like ethical education that i think are like a really important part of radical struggles um so i think that some of the marxists missed that point too yeah that's really great i really like this idea in certain ways that care ethicists have placed such a burden on care to do such radical transformative work that it's missed out on the political dimension the social reproduction one brings in, but under Marxist theories, that care, a care as a concept doesn't get the dignification that it might get with like held and ethics of care. I think that's a great way of framing it. And I think your work like really holds those two things together. So then kind of related, and actually this makes me think, this question actually in particular makes me think of your previous comment, this whole eating the other dynamic, I think brings in like a question about solidarity. So my question for you is that, is if you see care as a means towards solidarity, and if it is, how we maintain this sense of difference that's sort of significant, uh, sorry, that's sort of significant in uh, resistance, um, can care help us with keeping that difference? Well, your guys' questions are so good. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that, in answering that question, I guess I want to make a distinction between radical care and like a kind of paternalistic care. And the sorts of, um, so I guess, so yes, and to answer your question, like yes, I think it can be 
a means towards solidarity and a genuine radical care, I think, is and can be a means toward um, toward toward something like mutual, you know. So so Dean Spade, for example, has this really beautiful conception of he he, he talks about uh, solidarity, not charity. Uh, what is the right mutual aid for survival? Something. Um, it's a beautiful essay. Something like mutual aid infrastructures of like collective and community care um, that 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 run counter to to the state um, that run counter to to the kind of paternalistic uh, individualizing responsibilizing understandings of like of like charity right and so I think that care can be a means towards solidarity um, mm -hmm. it's a necessary component of like something like genuine solidarity mm -hmm. but like as an ongoing praxis um, of, of, of coalition building. That that's like, I think, I, to use Lord's phrasing, like that, 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 that genuine solidarity can only happen across non-dominant difference um, in the way that sh she discusses like the possibility of interdependency, the possibility of nurturance can only happen, you know, uh, across non-dominant differences, like across so like, so, and, and, and there's this danger though too, right? Like, I mean, even speaking from my own experience, like not even, I shouldn't say even, like, you know, like as a white woman, I have definitely been in situations in which like, I have like prematurely tried to kind of forge a weed, um, in which I have really kind of like wanted to, to share experiences, um, to share or compare, um, to, to kind of, to, to, to do that super problematic white feminist thing. And like, I think, yeah, I think that radical care can be a can and can be and is a crucial component of how we go about like mitigating against those kinds of like uh, of, of colonizing gestures or those kinds of um, white feminist gestures. And, you know, in, in you know in the context of feminism, we can see that in many different social arenas. You know, I mean, I guess I'm thinking about like Maria Lagones, for example, and thinking like kind of like imbuing the self with ambiguity, like like understanding ourselves as multiple and like how to and, and, and forging coalition in that deep and intensive. I think that that illustrates the possibility. I mean, the, 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 that's the that's that's one of the horizons of care. Right. And then it's also like the 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 messiness of it. Um, the kind of deep work it requires. Um, you know, I mean, for me, like learning, like, I mean, this is, I think this is uh, Lugones' phrase as well, like just like learning to be self-consciously white, a citizen of the U.S. Thinking about enacting, I mean, we can't forget that Lord, never, like Lord stopped talking to white women about race, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, these, these issues are very deep. And yeah, going back to the original thing, I think like genuine solidarity, radical care, a lifelong practice of radical care can like potentially resource us to, to, to enter into that kind of coalitional solidarity work. That's great. Yeah. I think that, that definitely, it felt like answered my question, but then leads well into the next one, which is actually sort of a shared one that Zach and I both have. It's basically, I'm curious to hear a little bit about the role of affect um, in your political theory. And for me specifically, affects such as despair, pain, and joy, what role do they play in your conception of care? And I found that in our daily practices, as much as you want to be there, and as you just you said before, they're like limitation. Uh, as, as much as we want to be there and care for our friends and loved ones, we are also 
deeply limited in our capacity to do so. So are this limitation of care also part of the militancy and radicality of care? And in your recent published essay, Mimesis on the, on the Edge, you suggest that, quote, despair is a power. How can despair also be powerful? And can we find joy in despair? Yeah, um, with affect, I mean, just, I understand affect is the kind of, um, I mean, all these are such beautiful questions. Again, thank you. Um, but I understand affect to kind of speak to the so, like, sociality, like, and, materiality of, of, of emotions um, and and I think I mean in a way I, I, I like to think about this like under that or in that framing of like holding complexity um, that in a way I mean I really do and, and I and I think that maybe I wasn't like I didn't do as much of a service as I should have to care ethics um, like I think that the dimension of the relational ontology that care ethics brings and the dimension of um, affective and like ethical education that care is so bound up with. Um, I don't think, I don't think that given institutions and norms actually like provide the, like provide the space in which we can really do that. But they really speak to that, like the need for uh, affective ethical education. I think that that's kind of about maybe expanding the range of our affective capacity, both in a collective sense and, you know, and, and personally. Um, and then also at the same time, kind of honoring the, the real like wisdom of our animal bodies or something where it's like the, and this I think speaks to the, the question of limits, like that you were asking, which is so awesome, like that these kind of like nervous system responses of like fleeing or fighting or freezing or like appeasing, which I do so, t I mean, I'm so ashamed, of, like ashamed of it, but like, or dissociating, you know, that these are like, there's so much wisdom um, and these responses and that like, so I don't think it's like this kind of affective education where it's just like ripping it mm -hmm. apart. I mean, I think we have to really like trauma informed in our approaches, these questions. Um, but yeah, I think the political and ethical education, like that includes affective and somatic dimensions is really important to the work of radical care. Um, in both, again, in both the critical and the transformative horizon senses. Uh, and I think, um, and this is, and it's not just about the happy affects. I love how you picked up on that too. Like, I don't think it's just the happy affects. Like, I think that that kind of like reifies that same issue with like the privatization of care, like, the, you know, this naturalization of care that like we, could, we, we often think about care as this like, um, you know, joyful selfless giving or something like that. And I don't, and I think it's actually like, um, it's devastating to care. Like, I think, you know, like learning to care is totally devastating. Um, and that, yeah, again, it's not this private personal, uh, as it's not this private personal thing, it's also like, I think that like, on the one hand, radical care involves like revolutionary desire. And that's like absolutely affective, um, like a desire. Neona Menos in, in Argentina talk about like, you know, one of their slogans is, is nos mueve el deseo, which is like, we, like desire moves us, right? It's like, you know, and, that, it's, and like, that, that's not an individualistic sense, right? Like mm -hmm. is this kind of tidal and seismic like movement that, of which desires and like eros are absolutely essential and like cultivating that collectively, like cultivating these collective joy practices are so important to like, well, to like, you know, the possibility of better, you know, of, of better worlds, but, um, 
but also to like the sustainability of our struggles. And, um, and at the same time, um, yeah, it, I think it, le- I think it also like this kind of like titrated expansion, like this, like this, this affective education, affective political education, I think involves like learning to hold grief and pain and rage as well. Like just as much as it's about revolutionary desire. And so it's kind of like positive versus like, you know, speaking against, and it's also, I mean, I think it's all kind of bound up together in this really messy way, right? Um, to sort of put like a Spinozist or like an, I love Spinoza, right? But like, uh, I really do love Spinoza, but, um, but like the sad affects, I don't think are just like a demotion of power. Like, I think the sad affects are like crucial. Does that speak to it? I also, I mean, I said that thing about, I mean, I think, oh, the way that you picked up, the way that you spoke to it is like the transformation of care, I think. I think I already spoke to this, but the affective dimension is so essential too, right? But not like, but not separate from the the more like material elements and dimensions. Um, like, you know, meeting people's material and social needs. Um, but yeah. Um, oh, and I think, I mean, you asked about that line. I guess I, I guess that was kind of like a, a riddle or something. I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question about despair is a power. Um, I guess it's kind of a good line. Uh, I think in that sense, I was thinking about, I might just let it lie as a, as a, 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 a riddle to ponder, but, um, but I think that, 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 that something like despair actually, it goes back to your question about solidarity in a way, Miranda, that like something like despair is like, can teach us like to relate to the pain of the world, like without being the other. Um, and. Yeah. Oh, and I guess I also want to mention that, like, in a way, I'm also, in terms of affect, maybe I should have said this first, but, but I think it's the, the orientation of my project, like, on the one hand, thinking about affective, and, like, affect in, in a materialist sense, like, I'm against that idea of, like, immaterial labor, um, but at the same time, like, at the same time, thinking it was like, I really actually want to take up those affective, intimate, empathic, erotic dimensions. As like as like key sites of struggle, I think. Um, no, I think it's an important piece of. Because I mean, I really just think that they're essential to the, or that they can be, and maybe ought to be, like respected more in 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 our in our struggles and practices. It's like as this really kind of um, essential location of of of, of transformation. Um, Kelly, so you suggest that transformative justice instead of our, instead of our current criminal justice system are crucial to a fundamental transformation of care. Holding someone accountable is to be done without causal punishment, but with community accountability. Does this mean that we must also extend care to the individuals that have inflicted inju- injuries? I found this to be extremely difficult. What does community accountability look like? when one is stricken by grief and rage. First, I want to, like, position myself, like, vis-a-vis transformative justice, um, you know, as a, as an essentially, like, collective um, endeavor. Um, so, so it's kind of, like, position myself in relationship to its rich history and present. Um, it's, like, rooted in anti- anti-racist um, and anti-racism and, like, and prison abolitionism. Um, rooted in radical women of color led anti-intimate violence work, um, youth work, 
work against child sexual abuse and like sex worker organizing and healing justice and disability justice. There's just like, this, you know, this co like collective method in transformation uh, that is just really rooted in um, so many places of, in, of just like incredible uh, struggle. Um, and, and, and in marginalized, like people like, whose struggles were marginalized and in a way like these kinds of skills like born from um, born from uh, resistance to, to the to, to both the structural dimensions uh, you know the prison sorry, the, the prison industrial complex uh, for example and like also to the kind of intimate uh, concerns of, uh, of uh, intimate partner violence um, so just like really, orienting like practice collective practices towards um multiple levels just like bringing together those dimensions of um just like the most intimate like specificities of 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 the way we relate to each other you know to the you know to to the prison uh, and the police um and you know and thinking you know thinking about something like address like what are the conditions for addressing you know, in the, in the child sexual abuse, right? And how endemic that is, like, uh, so I guess actually, maybe I should say at the beginning, like, I think something like, so Generation 5, like an organization that's, that, that, that addresses child sexual abuse in particular from a transformative justice lens, like the name like refers to the long scale nature of the process. It's like over five, gener you know, over five generations we can like forge conditions in which child sexual abuse will not be possible. Um, and so, so I think, oh, so I, but, but, but going back to the kind of like specificity of the, of the question, I think that some, a lot of people doing transformative justice work have kind of shifted understandings of accountability to where people aren't really, like people aren't really speaking about it as like holding people accountable anymore. Like, like it's like you can support people in their accountability, but like, but we don't really like hold people accountable. Um, and so, and so, um, yeah, I think on the one hand, so then I guess to get into the, like, do, you know, must we extend care to, to people who cause harm? Um, I think it's a, it's a kind of, Mia Mingus, uh, talks about like, she, they, I'm not sure what their pronouns are, always use this like both and kind of way of, 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 of framing the complexity, holding the complexity uh, of this kind of work. And I think there's just this kind of, this question is really um, like important to me, like in that I've come again, I've come up against those limits, like in like on multiple occasions and it's brutal. Um, and so I think that we can kind of hold that complexity. I mean, actually, Shira Hassan has this wonderful thing, brutal and truthful thing that she says, like, on the one hand, like, she was the person who would, like, scribble kill your rapist on the bathroom wall, and at the same time, like, believes in, like, 100% you know, believes in, in the possibility of, um, uh, of healing and that people aren't disposable. So I think that this is just like a framing or just a, a practice and a framing that's like uh, striving towards that kind of holding of complexity. I mean, another thing I want to like to speak to that is that I do think it's a survivor-centered modality, and that um, as a survivor-centered modality and as a, as a modality that like does it, that looks at harm, like that 
understands justice like to be about getting to the roots of injustice. Um, and so, uh, and so, um, shoot, I'm losing my thought, I'll come. Um, oh, and so like, it's on the one hand survivor-centered, on the other hand, like that, that it's really like taking a collective community, societal, social perspective on harm, right? And so it's like, you know, it's understood, it's like that, that, I, that very idea of community accountability, like everyone, has a role to play, everyone's involved. And like a lot of the time, if you're, if you are struck, in, if you are stricken by like grief and rage, you're probably not the one who is best resourced to do the immediate survivor, sorry, the immediate person who harms, who harmed like accountability support, right? Like you may have another role to play, like you may be doing survivor support or like what, you know, whatever it is, but like it's so, so it's, I mean, it's, I think sometimes it's even about like understanding those boundaries and limits. Um, and how we're restored and how we're resourced and like what we're good at and like what we can and cannot do um and so i mean i've seen it's brutal it's a brutal impasse like it's really i like to think of myself as like a trend like, like a transitional creature you know um that like that we're you know we're there's this beautiful quote actually or this beautiful in an article i read recently i think i taught it like uh it's a, a miriam kaba quotes Ruth Wilson Gilmore about on this idea that like, okay, so we need to change everything, right? Like we gotta change everything. And that is daunting and terrifying. And like, it also like allows us to see that there's like infinite like roots of like access to transformation. Like, and so I think it's also this kind of like, on Mia Mingus also does this like scaling way, like scaling down, you know, it's like learning to apologize. Like it's like a very, really important skill of transformative justice. Like, so kind of like um, doing that, like that, that kind of compassionate assessment of where we are in our communities as well. Like I've definitely seen a lot of people flee. I've seen, you know, just like flee to other communities, like all sorts of stuff like that. It's really, and it's hard. Um, and I think, Again, just like return to the thing with, to return to that generation five. Like, it's like, just like reorienting to the fact that this is a kind of, this is something that's going to take like generations. Um, and then I think it's a kind of, this also goes back to the affect question, I think as well, because it's a kind of embodied collective learning to hold that complexity. I think it's like a really good example of like what that kind of holding of complexity means, like, or like, entails or, or the, the kind of stakes of it and it's like really hard yeah that both and complexity of like the non-disposability and dignity of of everyone and also like the need for boundaries <sighs> thank you this is great and you know i think there's something kind of interesting in in these in your answers to these questions that sort of leads well in, into the next question i have that there's so many terms and there's also you know uh so much in your vocabulary that seems to come from such a diverse, like, um, diverse spaces of knowledge. And so I guess I'm curious to hear a bit about which communities that you draw knowledge from. And I think also then what communities do you want your work, your writing to speak to, to offer resources for? Maybe those are different, of course, but yeah. Yeah, um, something I don't think I've said and actually like feels super important. Maybe I said it a little bit. Um, 
I think this is, I think of this work as like collective work. Um, it has to be. Like thinking about care, like something I've come up against like again and again in the academic context. It's just like, I don't like, it's like, it's really uh, contradictory and not okay for me to be like trying to be brilliant with this work, like as an individual or something like that, you know? Cause it's just like the, the, the realities of care and the politics of care that I'm trying to, to um, be part of a, like just really um, diverse and rich and beautiful and transformative, like so many different uh, incredible people in struggle, like, like, and do like be part of that. Uh, like, that's what I want. Like, I want to be like, you know, like a small piece of a, of a, of a transformative mosaic that's like, that we're in, that we're in the process of like, creating together. Um, I also think I want to say like community is kind of complex for me. Like I'm sort of a weird loner. <laughs> and like, I think like, I mean, it's like thinking about that kind of philosophy trope. I guess we have that in philosophy about like how we work on the thing that like we need or something like, like the Nietzscheans are all like repressed or something or like whatever, you know, it's just like that kind of thing. And like, I think so in a way, like I'm drawn to this because I need it. Uh, and because community is hard for me. Um, like a weird introverted loner and like, anyways. Um, so two, I mean, two parts of the question. Uh, who do I draw knowledge from? Which communities do I want to speak to? Um, I mean, I'm really inspired by the by contemporary work um, in transformative justice, like, and just the kind of like, just incredible, beautiful, radical uh, praxis uh, and knowledge making, knowledge making practice like that's coming out of that tradition. In regards to, to transformative justice legacies, in regards to like intersectional legacies and um, and the international feminist movements um, that I am, that I think are really like have indispensable perspectives on care. It's also like this kind of comp, like this really complex thing for me to situate myself vis-a-vis especially uh, BIPOC uh, traditions um, and, 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 and forms of knowledge and praxis. And I think, um, so I think it's like, there is this complexity, like drawing upon is a kind of like, like uh, I heard that and I was like, you know, that's complex because drawing upon can be extractive. And so, and so the struggle, the, the, the struggle that I'm in, like the, the, the kind of the, the, the thing that I'm in is to really kind of try to make it into something that like, comes from struggle and healing that speaks to possibilities that are kind of offer something to, to discourses on medical care. Um, it also comes from, I mean, it comes from my own militant feminist and queer like micro communities and, and macro as well. I mean, I've been an anarchist since for a really long time. I think I have like a, I mean, if I'm going to be like honest about like who I'm speaking, like who I'm speaking to, like there's definitely like a anarchist and like Marx bro in my head that I fight with um, about like how important care is there, you know, uh, but a lot of this work has come out of like really intimate and deep like praxis with, yeah, with intimate others um, and these kinds of, I guess like, yeah, like the, the kind of, the kind of micro politics of that. And so, yeah, the, the, the micro communities with my dear, uh, my dear comrades and beloveds, anarchist communities, a really important community that I'm part of is the community of somatic sex education. Um, I'm a student of this beautiful 
queer sex worker um, institute. Um, and I'm just really, that, that, like this, a, a lot of people would kind of understand this, the, the, the teachings of this, of, of the Institute of, of Somatic Sex Education in different ways. But the way that I kind of think about it is, you know, this, this queer sex worker lineage of trauma-informed consent-based like erotic education. And it's like, I'm so um, thrilled to, to be part of that community and to and 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 actually like a lot of the the ideas about um the the terms of uh embodied ethics and counter-normative culture skills like these really beautiful and these are like again these are also collective ideas that i'm just like so uh joyfully honored to be part of kind of thinking through um with this with that community in particular um so I guess, I've, so these are, so a lot of, I guess in a way it's like speaking with is like my ideal. Like that's what I guess I want to be saying, drawing from and speaking to, and I guess it's important to kind of draw those distinctions, but I also like really kind of want to, I'm striving to like speak with. Um, oh, and then also like our new school philosophy community, like that's a community that I'm part of. And that's been a really complex community for me <laughs> over a lot of years. And like, uh, and, and I'm much happier about where that is now. Um, teaching communities, like communities around like teaching praxis uh, are important to me. And then finally, I think, God, I feel like I must be missing really important people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, beloveds that I'm missing. Um, but then I guess also like in terms of speaking to and like holding myself accountable to my students that like are another like, I guess it's unethical to call my students community, but like I... I strive to kind of, to, to cultivate a teaching praxis uh, that like that lifts up these beautiful souls that I get to work with um, when I teach. So yeah, um, I guess that's it. In a way, actually, that's maybe I'll finish because that's an interesting thought. Like in a way, like, and I've learned this with teaching. Like in a way, this really like the complexity of like calling and like the way it's like you never really know who your work's gonna touch, um, and that's uh, that that mystery is kind of beautiful too. So space for those others. So a lot of the communities you reference in your works, for example, the, the Zapatista women often organize the struggles not only around social reproduction, but also in deep connection to their indigenous, indigenous land. Can you tell us more on the shared horizon of ecological and social reproduction struggles? Yeah, thank you, Zach. Um, for the first part of this question, I, I am going to um, just kind of note my own ignorance and like needing to learn. I don't think I should speak to. Um, I don't think I should speak to indigenous struggles because I'm not. Um, I, I don't have enough knowledge about those struggles to speak directly to them. Um, but in regards to the second part, I mean, other than saying that, like that, uh, I think that we should must take leadership uh, from indigenous communities in struggle, uh, and that uh, many indigenous communities have like faced the most like. In this, in, in in you know, in throughout centuries of colonization, um, but also in in our contemporary moment, like the brutality of the of the um, repression that indigenous communities often face, like in, in defending their land, um, is something that should be put. Um, in answer to the ecological question, I think that's actually. I guess we're kind of wrapping up, and maybe it's a way. Maybe it's a good, like, this is a good way to to, to begin to end because that's like I, I sort of see it as the horizon. Like, I don't, in a way, like this, like in a way, like the devastation of the earth is like 
the catastrophe that like that that touches me deepest like that i guess the maybe the deepest strata of like the impetus towards this project like comes from um but i don't have the capacity to speak to or hold like ecological crisis in my um, written work yet for now so i i, I really um I think I'm at the beginning of this interview. We, I, I, I bravely mentioned that my trees were my greatest teacher, and like I've, I'll return to those trees, those oaks, like those beautiful oaks in in, in California where I'm from, um, and that like that I just I was just in California and like visiting for the first time uh, since uh, the beginning of the crisis, and. Um, I went up to this, to the mountains, my, the mountains that I've been going to for 30 years. Um, and I'm so fortunate that I've been able to, um, to have that connection. And it was like, and, and there's a lot of trees that are dying and it's really, um, I don't know how to, I'm crying. <laughs> I don't know how to hold that yet, you know? Um, and so I think like, just, and I want to, you know, like, I really want to, I think, and it's like the fact that that, that I've had the like the beauty and the, the experience of being intimate um, with those mountains and hills in that way, like is something that like I also like what that's like those teachings are something that I like I need to share in some way. I need to find a way to kind of um, to both hold the the catastrophe in a certain way, but also to kind of share that to share those teachings. Um, so. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> I think, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, it also goes back to the beginning too. I think like the most important part of my work, like that kind of like the most sort of sacred dimension is that like, is that commitment to life and the earth. My non-human community, that's right. I didn't mention my non-human community in the prior question. So yeah, non-human community. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that although, you know, you said that this isn't something you've yet explored academically, this came up, I think, in some of your discussions of care earlier on in the interview. You know, you mentioned that it seems significant that care as a concept is has the potential for a radical shift, not only in the treatment of humans, but the non-human world, the sentient world in general. Um, I think this would be something that a lot of uh, academics and activists would be sympathetic towards. Um, so it's there. I think it's there already. And it's, yeah, a matter of thinking it through this particular dynamic. Um, so then my next question is a little bit of a shift. Um, so some of the work we've read by you has been um, poetic. And some of it has been more argumentative. So um, I wanted to ask how you personally move through these like writing forms of aesthetics and political argumentation or philosophical argumentation. Can you talk about the difference between writing in a more poetic format versus the more uh, traditional argumentative structure? Thank you. Actually, your la your your connection or your the, speaking to the ecological lens like made me think of something um, else, which is that I do actually. I do think that care is an earthly thing, you know, we are earthly life and care comes from that earthly life. And I just, but I don't have the, I don't have the philosophical capacity to speak to that at this point. Maybe, I don't know if I ever will, but I hope to. Um, okay. So, I mean, actually, maybe it does speak to the, that kind of like different registers of writing, but in terms of, 
In terms of writing and writing praxis and the relationship between aesthetics and politics, um, something important actually, like another like really like crucial horizon for me is that is like something like something I'm just like longing for is collective writing. Like I, I just I've had one experience actually out of the uh, out of the, the occupations at Berkeley. Beautiful comrades and friends, like we wrote this amazing militant feminist intersectional text collectively. Was called direct action as direct action as feminist practice and urgent convergence, and it was this beautiful piece. And it's just like I always I kind of like hold that as like this thing that I'm just like always like hoping that I can find again around like writing collectively because I don't you know I just I that's what I ultimately want to do and I think this sort of work needs um, that other writing. So I, I'll just I think I'll say it out loud. My goal is to now I'm sort of like more accountable to my goal by saying it out loud. My goal is to kind of just to have another, like a, a, a shorter written project that like, that I write that comes out like with my dissertation in a way. Like I've been, I do have this like other practice of writing that I've been doing since I was a kid. And like, um, and, uh, and I think that there's certain things that I want to say about care that can't be articulated in that academic language. And I sort of hope that I, uh, I I'm planning on, uh, on having a, a little something that comes out about that, uh, probably not in my given name. Um, but then at the same time, and just, but in terms of the, I think that multiple voices are needed and accessibility is also needed, which is all like, which is obviously like a really big problem in our, uh, in our field of specialty. Um, and that being said, I think that there's actually like, for the first time, I'm sort of getting excited about craft of writing philosophically, especially like, like, like I feel this like wanting to write like a feminist philosopher. Um, I actually didn't, I didn't, being educated at the new school, like there were not very many classes in feminism, but they're also like, I wasn't even all that exposed to, to the beautiful traditions of like the more in the frame of so-called analytic philosophy and that writing style. And I'm just like, I want to write like that. Like, I mean, I don't want to like lump a bunch of like incredible people into like one category, but like, it's just that kind of like, I feel nourished when I read a certain kind of feminist philosophy and, um, there's an art and a craft and a clarity and like an understanding and like a willingness and a patience like to take one through, take the reader through that like I also aspire to, um, that I really aspire to. I hope I can do that in my dissertation. So again, stay tuned. Thanks, Kelly. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is already like the, the piece that you had worked on, which critiqued certain liberal understandings of care, I think really was an example of exactly, I think, what you were saying. I really saw it as that. Um, so uh, this next, this last question, I think is good. It kind of harkens back to something you said uh, about my question, where you said that in certain ways you want, rather than speaking to or drawing from, speaking with is a more helpful phrase. So I guess speaking with is kind of the framing I want to think of this last question. So just practically, like, do you have any advice to feminist philosophers, critical race theorists, uh, newer graduate students, like older graduate students, professors, how to take care of themselves while working on these topics. Um, specifically, do you have practices that you yourself take up that help you work on these topics as they're incredibly difficult and hard to hold um, on an everyday basis? <laughs> my unsolicited advice. <laughs> Actually, my solicited advice. I love that. I love giving solicited advice. Uh, 
Uh, I think um, maybe I'll speak to like what I do first to take care of myself or some of the things that I do. I I try to kind of nurture that spiritual connection or so, like that spiritual commitment like to life and to my life's work and like um, to to slowly painstakingly kind of learn what it feels like to be like living on purpose in that sense and i think that there's like a i think i mean there's a, like an erotic dimension to it um thinking about lord's text and like like that um what are those experiences that like require you to to, to require one to kind of to require no less of oneself like to have that kind of that was really badly phrased <laughs> but to develop practices that that allow me to to, to to, to cultivate that joy and longing and, and and desire for the work and that I, I mean I think on that same kind of register of affect like just you know to kind of I mean I think just like in the basic sense like the DIY like mental health care is really important um, for me uh, for holding the harder more painful parts of it yeah I think the most Oh, and the other, I mean, another really important thing I, like, in terms of that, that kind of commitment, uh, you know, commitment, like lived commitment to radical care is that I just, I really have this long-term dream or vision that I don't know if it'll, I shouldn't say that. I have a long-term dream or vision that of like collectively forming a, a, like a care school, like, and I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but like, it really keeps the hope alive for me. So, uh, so there's that. Um, and then teaching too, actually, like having, like feeling a sense of vocation for me, like in teaching, um, really keeps me grounded and centered and, and motivated to care. In terms of the unsolicited, or sorry, in terms of the solicited advice part, I will, a couple things that come to mind are that boundaries and like embodied practices of consent like a, a real sense of like of feeling your yeses and your noes or feeling one's yeses and noes um uh feminized and racialized people in this field or in, in many fields are really like exploited and like care labor is extracted and and, and it's important i think to it can be. It, it, it can be like a validating practice to actually like feel like what does no feel like in my body? Like what does yes feel like in my body? Um, perhaps like not getting to not not over identifying with academic norms um, is a little piece of advice. Like that's been a kind of a, a bitch for me to learn, <laughs> but because they're so insidious, right? But uh, but trying as best as one can to kind of hold oneself uh, and one's and the value of one's work, like not, you know, not with the parameters of academic, like academic standards as your kind of ultimate uh, measure of worth. Um, I think this goes back to the solidarity question. I think like both, and I, this can, this can be in an intimate sense and also in like a more, like a more political, like collective sense. But I think that like both, uh, coalition and autonomy that will occur. Like when we're talking about marginalized identities, um, that like whether it be in academia or outside academia, like finding people you can relate to across difference, and then maybe also like the people who share one's identity, like 
categories um, mm -hmm. and having like autonomous spaces like that, I think is like a really healing and important for keeping, for, for taking care of oneself. And then like tending to, tending to both longing, that, you know, that sense of longing and desire, but then also like tending to the kind of, like the grief and the trauma that like probably like, I don't know how to address this, like use a mode of address, like you or one, but like people who end up working on questions like this, people who are marginalized um, within this field, like those experiences of trauma, like often, you know this so well, like, like it's like, like those, like those, you know, that kind of wounded healer thing, like that's like tending to both the, cause these are like, these are sites of some of our deepest wisdom, I think, and tending to both, so tending to like both that trauma and grief and whatever histories have led you or one to, to pursue such a work and at the same time like tending to the kind of longing uh, desire um, that often comes with it too, I think. Um, like that comes with the desire for like to be part of radical and transformative practices. Yeah, oh, ritual is really important for me. I should have said that above maybe, but I love ritual as like a way to kind of create sacred containers and take care of oneself. And then I think just like figuring out like the weird shit, like and wild shit, like that, like that, that, that heals you, you know, like to whatever it is, but like, you know, do it in secret, whatever, but like move, you know, like that, the, the kind of like uh, insane body movement, sounds, sound movement, imagination, like these, just these kinds of like basic, like uh, somatic technologies, I guess, like are really, um, helpful in transmuting um, and transforming the difficult energies that we have to move through. Was that a problematic we? I hope that might have been a problematic we. Yeah, I guess that's, um, I actually want to say, you know, maybe I can just say in closing, like, I mean, thank you both so much. Like, thank you for these questions. And I really, I felt so seen doing this. It's so special and meaningful for me. And this like, this was like a really, this was a stretch for me. Um, it's. I'm a good teacher, but talking about my own work is like really hard for me. And so like, I'm honored. I'm really pleased I did it. And I'm really honored that I got to do it with you too. So thank you. Um, yes. And speaking of rituals, we had this nice breathing rituals right before we had this interview. I think I'm going to start doing that. Um, yeah. Thanks for talking with us, Kelly. And it was so eye opening. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you so much, Kelly. I definitely want to work for the care school you open that sounds great i actually like that's all now i want to do <laughs> definitely like sorry not to steal your dream or anything i just like i would love to like be a part of it <laughs> um okay thank you everyone for listening and um uh, i hope you all have a great day